Welcome to our Word on the Street podcast series, where we feature the thought leaders and influencers of TIS and beyond. Today's podcast is Data is the New Gold. But what does that actually mean for Treasury and finance functions and even beyond? Today, we're doing our podcast with Stephen Batiste. Stephen is the CTO of TIS, and I'm Kate Pohl, a senior advisor to TIS. So I'm going to be asking questions to Stephen, and we're going to be gathering his wisdom. Stephen, we keep hearing about the statement, or we hear hearing the statement, data is the new gold. But what does that really mean? I think it really means that gold is something that people value, and there's a lot of value in data as well. And people also say that data is a new oil, but that's a term I actually disagree with. Because uh, if you think about Rockefeller, he made all his money from refining the oil. Mm-hmm. And if you just store raw oil, it's not really got that much intrinsic value compared to refined. So it's the same with data. You really want to not just store the data, but actually do something that's more refined with the data. Absolutely. So what you're saying is what really makes it valuable isn't just having it, but what you can actually do with it, correct? Exactly, yes. So what would be use cases? What could you actually do uh, in the payment space um, and even looking at finance and beyond? So in the payment space, there's, there's many things, there's many different types of data as well. You have customer interactions with products. Mm-hmm. You have the, the payment data itself, the flow of data. If you think about payment data, that's got a lot of information in there. And then with finance as well, you can actually do a lot more analytics on that as well, where you can actually find where the state of the economy is even. You, <laughs> because if you're at the holistic area of payments, you actually have more information than the banks do if you think about it. So you have the kind of bigger world picture. And from this information, you can see more than other people can actually see in terms of how the economy is doing. So having the data really is key. Definitely. Okay. All right. But why has the value of data risen so significantly, say, in the last few years or, or decades? I'm not even sure how to quantify it. What would you say? I think this is really a good question because people just assume that data has always been around. Mm-hmm. And it definitely has been around, but it's not really been stored like it has now. Like Now we have the ability to store and process a lot more data, especially with the cloud and more services in the cloud it's a lot easier to capture data and then store this data in data lakes. Okay, so what you're saying is uh, certainly technology has changed the game. Uh, You mentioned cloud, you mentioned data lakes. What about AI or what else should should our listeners understand or know about? AI is definitely a big player in it as well. But the problem with AI is it's only as good as the data you train it with. So, if so you have garbage in, garbage out. Huh? Exactly. That's where it comes back to refining your data. Uh, there's, a, there's a nice term of a data swamp, and that's the data like that has lots of data in it, but it's just not usable in any way. It just kind of goes there to rot. It's polluted. Definitely polluted. And <laughs> so definitely we need to make sure that if you are going to apply AI, there's no biases in the system. And we see it all the time in the news about biases with AI. And there's even now companies that are looking at LinkedIn profiles to pre-screen candidates. Mm-hmm. 
But if the pre-screened on a certain type of candidate, then the system's always going to be biased for that type of candidate. So it's really difficult to get good data. Luckily, in the finance world, we have lots of good data. So there's lots of good patterns we can see. And those patterns from the past still apply to the future. Now, we do see changes where, say, fraud can make patterns more complex now and different types of fraud, especially with cybercrime. So it's definitely a changing world, but good machine learning algorithms will actually look at these patterns and adapt to the future as well. What about the whole idea of siloed data? So even if you have good data, uh, and you have interesting or you have relevant algorithms, what happens when it's siloed? What do we do then? That's actually where it gets tricky. Um, you can use data lakes to transform siloed data. It may be siloed because it's just got personal information in there. It may be siloed just because it's an old data store that no one knows how to access <laughs> on the, the infrastructure anymore. So there's different reasons why it could be siloed. But data lakes can usually bridge that gap and bring that data in, even through transformation if it is uh, something that has personal information so that it can be removed during the, the load into the data lake, or if it's siloed just to make it more accessible via a data lake. Okay, who's in the lead here? Is it just the big techs or can fintechs and even banks catch up? Definitely the big techs are in the lead. They, they've been processing data for a long time and monetizing it. Most of the revenues come from data or advertisements, which are also data-driven. But if you think about it, the big banks have a lot of data since probably in the 1950s or 60s even. Mm -hmm. It's just how do you take that data and actually make it accessible so you can actually start to run algorithms on it? That's the bigger question. Okay, so what you need is, is, is some place or someone who's consolidating it, correct? Exactly, yes. Uh, okay, so what about regulation? You know, here we're talking about data and, and what we can get from data and moving data into the mainstream for decision-making, but what about GDPR and other regulations that are protecting data? Are those restrictions too great to make it really valuable? It does make it more difficult. Uh, especially if you're trying to do consumer products where you want to protect consumers against fraud, because that usually involves lots of data that does have personal information. Mm -hmm. But there's ways to anonymize it. There's ways to do aggregations on the data. So you're not actually storing anything that identifies people. So there are ways to get around it, but regulations are getting more and more difficult. And each country is doing their own regulations now, what we're seeing. So we have the EU with GDPR, but now California's regulations, China's starting to regulate data, Russia's regulating data. So if you are truly a global company, it does get very difficult to store data in a way that works for all the different countries. Okay. So where did you personally learn to harness or work with data? And has this always fascinated you or is this a new love that you've discovered? It's actually, well, it's no longer a new love, but I did go in 2011. I decided to do a kind of a web project because I wanted to transition out to video games and do something different. So I thought, what would be a good project to do? What would be a good challenge for me? Mm -hmm. So I decided to scrape the entire world's media for as much news as possible. Well, right, because you wouldn't want to just do one country. Good heavens. No, well... It kind of became an obsession where I wanted more and more data just so I could try and get unbiased news. 
And this was in 2011 before the term fake news was even used. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had the idea that maybe I could concatenate stories together to create articles that are unbiased. Mm -hmm. But then as time went on, I realized that I added data from the past because I was naturally collecting every day. So maybe I could start to look for cause and effect patterns. And that just kind of led me into the downward spiral of more and more data collection and more and more machine learning techniques to analyze the news for sentiment, political bias, and actually started to use data then to uh, predict black swan events by actually neural mapping. So if you, if you have data from the news and you geospatially match that to where people are being influenced by that news, I figure you could start to then predict how people would behave. So I've used this in the past to predict Brexit. I used it to predict Donald Trump would win the election a year before the election. And not just by saying he's going to win, but the actual percentage points as well. Wow. So data can be really, really powerful. And that's kind of what made me become so obsessed with data and the uses of data, just because I realized there's a lot of really big potential from this. Wow. Okay, I'm, I'm staying on your side, Stephen. No, no question about that. So tell me something though, is it, is it then key? Is it th them who has the biggest amount of data who will win? Um, or what else is needed for success within finance or within business? I definitely don't think of as the most states will win. They have the potential to win. Mm -hmm. It really comes down to how you use data how well you can actually refine that data into something that's usable. If you're going to do AI, how good are your AI models? So there's many, many factors on top of the data that makes good uses from that. And even products as well, you need to have good products that actually exploit what you've been doing with all this work. Otherwise, it's just sitting in a data swamp with potential good uses, but no one's using it. <laughs> okay, got it. So Stephen, any final thoughts or tips or tricks for our audience when it comes to data? A data doesn't need to be as exclusive as it may seem. There's many platforms out there where people can actually utilize these platforms to get access to data or machine learning capabilities from data. And even if you don't have vast amounts of historical data, really there's a lot of pre-trained models out there that you can use, utilize by platforms and APIs where you could put your own data in, even though it's a smaller collection and use mm -hmm. the vast knowledge of someone else's historical data to actually give you the same kind of insight levels. Okay, so the, the point is not to get discouraged even if you're starting because you can also add from outside sources. And exactly. beginning is, is better than not doing it at all. That's what I'm gonna take along with me. Yeah, okay. it's better to start today than not, <laughs> not at all. Okay, fair enough. Thank you very much, Stephen. Stephen Batiste, CTO of TIS, and thank all of you for listening. Thanks, everyone.